Chapter 7 of The Boy Scouts on the Trail This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recorded by Monty Spanero The Boy Scouts on the Trail by Herbert Carter Chapter 7 The Birch Bark Challenge Ellie says we're now in big game country, fellows. Giraffe was rubbing at his gun when he made this remark. They sat about a fire among the pines that bordered the river, and another day had elapsed since we last saw them in camp, at the time of the visit made by the main sheriff and his posse. That sounds good to me, Step Hen observed. Now, as for myself, I never claim to be a great shake at doing any hunting, but all the same, I feel a longing to see a great moose standing up before me while I proceed to bore him through and through with my trusty rifle. Giraffe laughed scornfully as he continued to rub away with his rag he had greased with Vaseline. You just take it from me, son, though I'm not a great woodsman myself, that if you ever do shoot that popgun of yours at a full-grown moose, the quicker you shin up a good tree, the better, for if you delay... He's going to help you with his horns. Popgun nothing, remonstrated Step Hen. Now, I'd just like to know what you mean by that. I took advice before I had my dad buy me that gun. It was Alan here who told me the good points about it. Just because you carry one of those old-fashioned big-bore rifles that carry half a pound of lead, more or less, you think a light thirty thirty gun is a plaything. But my friend, investigate and you'll discover that it all lies in the ammunition you use, not the bore of the gun. Ain't that a fact, Thad? It certainly is, replied the other, and I'll prove it when I borrow that new repeating rifle of yours, Step Hen, to try and bring down my own moose when I get a chance to strike one. Huh? Don't see how you made that out, grumbled Giraffe. This here gun is one of the hardest hitters ever made. It is some hefty, I admit. And in a long jaunt, you'd come off much better than me, Step Hen. But what harm could your little pea shooter do against a big black bear or a savage moose, not to speak of a panther or a wolf? Look here, and I'll show you, old scoffer, replied Step Hen. Just take note of the carriage that goes into the magazine of my rifle. You see how extra long it is, and how the powder chamber swells much larger than the end that holds the bullet? Well, the powder's all in there. But that ain't all, not by a long sight. Go on, said Giraffe, fretfully, as the other paused dramatically. Well, this is what you call a soft-nosed bullet. They've tried to prevent the use of them in war because they are so terrible in their results. When it strikes even the flesh of a deer, it mushrooms out till it makes a larger hole than even your big boar. Yes, and if you ask Ellie there, he'd be likely to tell you that if if he had... To choose between the two, he'd much prefer being hit by a bullet from your old elephant gun to one of my pea-shooter, as you call it, that is. Giraffe listened and frowned. He may have tried to look as though he did not believe half he heard, but apparently he had lost considerable interest in his own heavy artillery, for he was seen to quietly lay it down immediately thereafter. And Sabatis promised to show me how to make what he called a moose call, remarked Bumpus proudly. 
being a strip of birch bark curled in a peculiar way like a long cornucopia, and through this the hunter can coax an old bull to come near enough to give him a shot. Perhaps now he'll even let us hear what it sounds like. Bully, exclaimed Davy Jones. I've always wanted to know what that could be like. What I've read about men calling the moose, does he come to have a fight, Ellie? I guess that's just what he does, replied the older guide, who was smoking his pipe contently by the fire, all duties for the day having been closed up. Then that must be why Sabattis stripped the bark from the birch tree after we landed this afternoon, remarked Stephen. I wondered whether he meant to write on it, the way you told us the Indians did, Alan, making pictures where the white men would have letters, and drawing the story out. There he goes now, starting to make that horn, I guess. This is mighty pleasant up here, fellows, said Thad, as he glanced around. All of you look perfectly happy, as though not a single care rested in your minds. Bumpus immediately shivered, as though that reminded him he ought to be ashamed of himself for enjoying such things, with heartless disregard concerning the dreadful happenings that, for all he knew, were taking place at his home. Ah, he remarked with a big sigh. I wonder where they all are tonight, and I certainly hope from the bottom of my heart my poor father and mother and all my brothers and sisters ain't a-sittin' on the curb without a place to sleep. What if that foolish forgetfulness was the cause of it all? I'll never ha be happy again, boy, never once. Oh, there he goes again at that same old racket, exclaimed Draft who did not appear to feel the slightest sympathy for his afflicted comrade, simply because he would not believe there could be any reason for the dire foreboding of Bumpus. Now, if we had only a wireless outfit along and Bumpus here could get in direct touch with his folks, I reckon they'll give him the merry laugh because he's been so silly about that old letter. Why, chances are, it wasn't anything much after all. Perhaps your dad wanted to ask his friend the cashier of the bank to drop around that evening and have a game of billiards at your house. Do please forget it, or anyway bury your troubles deep down in your own bosom, Bumpus, because if you keep a frettin' and a moanin' like you've been doin', the chances you'll spoil this outing for the rest of us. Well, remarked Bumpus indignantly, guess if you happen to be in the same fix that bothered me, You'd moan and groan, too. Oh, I've got troubles of my own, let me tell you, continued Giraffe. All of us have. There's Step Hen. He's wondering what we're going to have to eat if we clean out all we fetched along, and the game keeps him shy. Davy's been uneasy this long time, ever since, in fact, he fell into the campfire from the limb of a tree where he was hanging by his toes when the rotten thing broke out under him. Bumpus, you yourself are over your head in seas of trouble, or you were a short time back when you took that header over the end of the canoe into the river. We all have em, old fellow, but we don't go around whining and telling everyone. Do close up. There, looks like Sabattis is satisfied with the shape of the horn he's made. Let's take a squint at it, please. The birch bark trumpet was passed around for examination. No one knew better how to manufacture the simple but effective moose call than the Penobscot. Even such an old and experienced guide as the Maine woodsman 
Ellie Crooks was ready to admit that Sabattis stood in a class all by himself when it came to enticing the wary but belligerent moose to approach by means of insidious call upon the crude horn that breathed defiance one minute and enticing sound the next. See if you can make it go, suggested Stepan. Accordingly, Thad, who had it in his hand at the time, placed it to his mouth. He puffed his cheeks out, and Bumpus hastened to clap both hands over his ears as though he expected to hear a strident blast, such as the old-time Highland chiefs were accustomed to making when they wanted their clan to appear and attack the hated English from south of the border. But it was wonderful what the miserably soft noise followed all those efforts on part of Thad. He had never touched a moose call before, and did not have the knack of extracting anything like a bellow from the innocent-looking device. There was a general laugh at his inability to make use of the call. Even the two main guides joined in, though the result was nothing more nor less than had been expected on their part. It required long practice to just know how to pucker the lips and send the wind whistling through the bark tube that became larger at the further end, until it resembled a megaphone. So Thad turned it over to Step Hen. That worthy did his level best and was only able to extract a miserable squeak that made Bumpus chuckle. Just try it yourself and see, said Step Hen, thrusting the call into the chubby hands of the stout scout. And so Bumpus, feeling confident that he could at least excel the last attempt, since he was the bugler of the troop and could play on any sort of instrument, took the call. He grew so red in the face with trying to send forth a clarion note that some of the boys feared he would break a blood vessel. But not even a grunt followed. The horn refused to show any of its good qualities, even when a master hand at the bugle took hold. Then Giraffe was induced to try, with no better success than had attended Step Hen's attempt. I don't believe the old thing can make a noise at all, declared Bumpus aggressively. Suppose you ask Sabattis to show you, suggested Alan, who might have done it himself fairly well, but did not wish to spoil the work of the Indian. Accordingly, the dark-faced guide, without showing the slightest interest in the matter, took the roll of birch bark and placed it carelessly to his lips. What the boys listened to then was a revelation to them. At first, the sound seemed like several troubled grunts, and Bumpus was grinning with the expectation that this was going to prove to be a rank failure, when the call grew louder and more insistent, until it seemed to roll up against the mountain far away to the other side of the river like a burst of thunder, or in great waves of sound. Then it grew soft again, and finally wound up with another tremendous volume that seemed to make the very air vibrate. After Sabattis took the call down from his lips, the echoes swung back and forth from one side of the river to the other, gradually dying in the farther distance. My, but that was simply great, ejaculated the entranced Step Hen. Never heard anything to equal it in all my life, and such a queer whoop, too, declared Giraffe. Look at Sabattis. What's he sitting up that way for, cried Davy Jones. Seems to be listening, fellers. Oh, I wonder what he's heard. 
Is that an echo that comes stealing back from up river way? And Bumpus half started to clamber to his feet. Then the six scouts remained motionless as, with their ears on the alert for the faintest sound, they heard an increasing answering call come stealing through the night air. Thad reached out his hand toward where Stephen had rested the new magazine rifle against the neighboring tree. He guessed instantly what it meant. There was no echo about that thrilling sound. Sabatis had sent out a challenge, and it must have reached the ears of a real bull moose that chanced to be within hearing, and this swelling roar that they were listening to now was his sturdy response. Yes, it was surely a genuine moose that had answered the call, and no doubt he was even at that very minute lumbering along over the pine-covered slope, eager to accept the challenge that breathed in that strange melody of sounds. End of chapter 7 Recorded by Monty Spanero